Hello, and welcome to the Beautiful Business Podcast. Beautiful Business is a community for leaders who believe there's a better way of doing business. We believe beautiful businesses are led with purpose by people who care, guided by a clear strategy, and soulfully grown. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Beautiful Business Podcast. And my name is Ewan Sang. I'm part of the Beautiful Business team. And this week, we're joined by Joe Swift. Joe is an experienced agency leader in the communications industry, and she's driving forward the sustainability agenda. She's the managing director responsible for the thriving mission-led team at the Greenhouse Communications Agency in London and Bristol, working on campaigns with environmental and social change at their heart for government, business, NGOs, and youth organizations. Joe's area of expertise includes narrative and messaging, behavior change, communication strategy, creative campaign development, integrated marketing, media, and stakeholder relations, team structure, and organizational design. She's a trusted advisor to national and global business figures and was selected to be part of the Reclaiming Agency 2020 cohort, a leadership program from Purpose Disruptors, creating positive change in the marketing industry. Joe, let's talk about communication with purpose. This is obviously what Greenhouse is all about. Can you give us a couple of examples of some campaigns your team has worked on that you're particularly proud of? And what is it about them that gives you joy? Yes, of course. So the first one is a organization that is funded by the European Union, and they are funded to accelerate innovation in the food system. So they celebrate protein diversification, regenerative agriculture, sustainable aquaculture. And they're a really interesting organization. They came to us and said that they wanted to work with Gen Z, doesn't everyone? And they wanted to understand how to engage young people in the food system or in their food, because young people feel quite disconnected from the food that they eat. And they felt like, yeah, there was a real opportunity to engage them, but they didn't know how. So we came up with an idea, which is called the Future Food Makers, where we set up a competition across Europe to find 10 young people all who have like really brand new and interesting ideas as to how government can connect young people with their food and can help them feel more part of the choices that we all need to make on a day-to-day basis. So we recruited a group of 10 individuals. We called them the future food makers. We worked with them to develop five policy asks that they then took to really senior government individuals as part of an EU conference towards the end of 2021. And their policy asks were included in a final paper from the European Union. And EU said at the time that the young voice or young people voice was something that they'd never considered before just how important it was to engage young people. And so, yeah, that impact that felt really important. And we've now got this group of future food makers that we're doing a huge amount of work with further down the line. We're working really closely with them to understand yeah, what they want now to see from governments, what they want now to see from business and education. And yeah, it's the kind of idea that it started at Greenhouse and we've created this group, but it's been fantastic to see them grow and develop their own voice and for us to give them a platform. That sounds incredible. I mean, you know, the Gen Zs of the world are, are so much kind of 
picked on really in many senses so to have a campaign that's built around because i can't remember where i read it or i heard it but this it was a discussion around the future of democracy basically and there's some really interesting ideas that are flying around around giving parents two votes so that they could represent their children in terms of what legislation kind of comes through and this project it reminds me of that it's given a voice to the people who often aren't heard or, yeah. or certainly who aren't listened to Yet they're going to be, you know, the biggest consumer group coming through. They're probably, the, the, you know, the, the ones which hold the most wealth, in, fingers crossed, at some stage. So for them to have their opinions heard and certainly their thoughts and their feelings around something as important as food, consumption, ingredients, cooking, so on and so forth, is, um, sounds really, really good. That sounds amazing. So I guess one thing that I'll be really interested in is in terms of communicating with purpose and working with these clients. And we've spoken before about how selective greenhouse are, how the kind of diligence that you put into working with clients to make sure that they are properly impactful. What's changed in the last couple of years in terms of communicating with purpose compared to before? In your mind, what do purpose-led companies need to consider now? Once it becomes a buzzword, it's immediately you feel like as a communicator, you need to work even harder to prove that you're actually genuine. So everyone talks about purposeful brands now. Every brand wants to demonstrate that it has a purpose, but of course, it's always had a purpose because otherwise it wouldn't have existed, even if that purpose is perhaps, yeah, not always in line with supporting and enriching the planet. But the more that organizations say they've got a purpose, the more scrutiny they're under to prove that that's actually true. So as I say, what it means for communicators is we need to work much harder to prove that we're authentic and genuine. And there's a huge amount of organizations now that are saying that they do something with purpose. But yeah, it can feel quite shallow if you scratch the surface. So we get much more scrutiny on the work that we're doing. But that's a good thing. And because of the nature of the work we're doing, that actually ensures that we have cut through because we can be confident that when you do scratch the surface, there is genuine action underneath what we're saying that we do. Mm, I do completely hear what you're saying. It feels like there's this wonderful shift or this kind of movement, obviously unspotted before everybody else, in terms of being more personal, in terms of the importance of sustainability, whether or not that's a generational shift, or if it's just a higher awareness of the impact that we're having on the planet, on societies and on communities. But people are much more discerning. And as you say, the, the danger of greenwashing is, and you can tell me if this is true or not, but is there a level of cynicism, even if it's inadvertently done, but a level of cynicism when somebody comes to the market to say, or if a brand or if an organization comes to the market to say, you know, we're trying to save the planet or we're trying to, you know, to make sure that we're fully sustainable and stuff like this. And, and is that making the job of a communicator harder? Yes, it is. It's ensuring that we're well, not necessarily harder, but yeah, you're met with many more questions and you're in a pool of many other organizations that are trying to say something similar. It's also, it is not, there is so much nuance as well that does make it, it's not a black and white issue at all. And that's also something that we, yeah, continue to be really mindful of because, yeah, on the one hand, you can be considering that you're doing the right thing, but either the language that you're using has moved on or the part of the organization that you're working with where the funding is coming from changes. And so you need to be really alert to every possible change that's happening. So yeah, it definitely has made it harder, but that's for good reason. 
Yeah, indeed. Is there anything else that you'd add in terms of companies or businesses that are trying to achieve this kind of cut through in such a congested space over and above that proof of authenticity? Yeah, it's ensuring that you have practical, tangible examples of action and impact that we can only communicate what's actually happening. So really challenging yourself to demonstrate your impact. And also, Paul Polman talks about this, the ex-CEO of Unilever. He talks about the say-do gap, which is a really important phenomenon, which is, again, that comes from a leadership of any CEO that's perceived to say something and then do something different. And that gap, that's where you lose your employees. That's where you lose your customers. It's where you lose, ultimately, shareholder value. So, yeah, making sure that you don't have your say-do gap. Good. That's a lovely bit of advice. I will. What kind of um, process do you take your clients through when it comes to creating a communications campaign that puts purpose at its core? What else can you do to try and avoid, you know, that kind of that greenwashing phenomenon? Yeah. So the initial process is to understand all the different aspects of their organisation, and for us to then marry that with some really detailed, thorough audience data that shows who their audiences are, like exactly what they're doing and the kind of information that they're currently consuming and ensuring that we then marry that with what they want to say. Because it's one thing for a company or an organization to say, this is what we want to stand for. This is what we want to say. But if the audience isn't ready to hear it or is listening to something very different, then there's a disconnect. So yeah, the first thing we do is to yeah really get under the skin of the organization, but couple that with the audiences that they're trying to reach. And in some ways, or in many cases, we will challenge and say, but if this is your goal, this is what you really want to achieve, your audience is doing this. So have you considered a different route to reach them? Or have you considered actually focusing on this project versus this one? Because we think that actually will give you more cut through. Oh, that's really interesting. So that audience analysis before any comms goes out, before any campaign is even crafted, is trying to understand how does that break down, Joe, in terms of, you know, what kind of insights do you look for or, you know, what's the method there? If a listener is thinking, actually, that sounds like a really good bit of advice there. Well, let's try and get the feelers out. Let's try and get an idea of what the audience that we want to connect with currently thinks. How do you go about getting that data and what kind of data points do you look for? Yeah, so we work with a range of digital tools that can help give us that research and data. We also will do, and again, you can do this much more now post-COVID, but the real value of qualitative samples as well. So we use digital tools to see, to get really granular on what certain groups are searching for, the kind of information that they're consuming, what they're responding to. But then in addition to that, if there is a specific group, be it, I don't know, founders of small businesses that focus on construction in this part of the country, we can also identify them and do some qualitative research ourselves just to give us that additional layer of data and insight that we can then test some of our ideas on and take back to our clients. That's really good. It really kind of just blows away that myth of, I guess, old school PR when it was all based on you know relationships with journos and trying to get column inches here, there and everywhere. The fact that you spend such due care and attention on the audience side before you necessarily craft you know the communication strategy for the client side makes a huge amount of sense in terms of how to go about doing it. 
how do you go about measuring the success of these campaigns then? And if we've got listeners who are trying to do some of the comms work themselves, what should they be paying attention to? What are the metrics that they should be paying attention to? They should consider what the goal is and what the touch point for measurement could be. So, for example, if you have a report that you think your audience really needs to read and that's going to either communicate your message or it's going to give you access or help you sell more to an individual, then what ways could you measure their engagement? So, for example, is it a simple download? Is it dwell time? Do you want them to be visiting certain pages on your website? Is it quite simply that they all read a certain title and a piece of coverage in that title will actually make a huge difference? So I think it's making it really tangible. And then going back from that, how is once you know exactly what you want to achieve, it's yeah, ensuring that you've got some metrics in place so you can really show the impact that you've made. So we do a lot of work with landing pages, for example, to ensure that they're really working hard and that they are as accessible and straightforward as possible for the audience and that the information we want to present, it's really simple to navigate, but that we've also got the ability to track and measure how long people are on there for and what they're downloading and then what the action that they've taken is from that. So gone are the days of simply looking at press coverage and saying, oh, we got you in this. I mean, this is still important, but it's just one of many metrics. We got an article in this title and we know that X number of people possibly saw it. That's definitely a metric, but I would also recommend that you think of others just to ensure that you know if your communications is working for you. It sounds almost kind of scientific in the way that you've just articulated then, Joe. I remember, and this is probably showing how much of a Luddite I am, working with PRs way back when, and they were talking about opportunities to see as a metric OTS, and it always kind of blew my mind. And I was like, well, hang on a second, tell me what that number actually is. And they said, well, these are all the titles that we've managed to get your coverage in, and then we've added up the circulation of all those titles, and that's how we got that huge number. And I was like, well, that's a really impressive big number, but doesn't really mean that much to me. (laughs) You know, but as you say, the science behind, I guess the thing that I'm taking away from this is that it's not just about coming up with a clever message or some snappy copy. It's thinking about the whole kind of journey that you're taking your audience through from understanding how they'll respond or react to the message in the first place and what kind of message to take out to them, what kind of campaign, what direction they're going, all the way through to the channels and mediums and titles you go to, to the, whether or not you call it the end point, but to that point on the page or whatever the action is and thinking about how that page is built, the way it's laid out, the words that you use, the UX of that page of that asset so that it all points towards achieving those objectives, as you say, those objectives set out at the very start. Yeah, that's exactly it. Thank you so much, Joe Swift from Greenhouse Communications. It was wonderful hearing your insights and your experience and all the stories you had to share. Thank you for joining us for this week's Beautiful Business Podcast. Beautiful Business is a community for leaders who believe there's a better way to do business. Join us next time for more interesting discussions on how businesses can bring about change, helping communities, building a fairer society and safeguarding the planet. You can also join in the discussion at www.beautifulbusiness.uk.